Back in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 18, God made a promise to Abraham as a divine king to all of his descendants and through Abraham's descendants, a promise that would go to all the nations of the earth. It was a promise to bless in wonderful ways. Now the rest of your Bible is in effect a revelation of God's work to bring Israel and all the nations, including us, into that blessing. Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry that is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about how God is working through CPE by going to traincpe.org or go to breadoflifeboise.org. God is the divine king of all the earth, and yet his kingdom blessing and promises find their way to his people through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the manifestation of the divine king, and he brings to us the way in which under his rule we may experience the king's blessings. But then what God says is, I'm going to have to come and I'm going to have to do a work in order to prepare you and condition you so that you might live in a state, a perpetual state of obedience and righteousness so that you can receive all these blessings. And God promises to do th two things. First, he promises that the king that will come among them will come among them as a lamb that will suffer and be a sacrifice for their sins. He will be the lamb. That will be. And so you read about that in Isaiah 53. In fact, I think it is the last section of the book of Isaiah is an expression of the king reigning over all the nations. And in the very central verse of that section, which the Messiah is identified as this king and his God is identified as, as this king over all the nations, you have, and he will be led as a lamb to the slaughter. And for the sheep as the shear is dumb. Here is the king coming to be a lamb, to be a sacrifice for them. And that's one of the things God reveals. The other thing is, not only will he take the punishment and suffer for the sins that they've committed in defying him by coming to be a lamb before them, but the other thing he reveals is that he will also come among them and he's going to change their hearts so that they have new hearts that will desire and long to and will be forever able to obey him and follow him and yield to him. And this is called the new covenant but really the new covenant is a way for them to realize all the promises of the old covenant of this land and enter into those promises. You'll find that in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, and Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 29. Let me read to you Jeremiah 31, 33, and then while I'm doing that, you might turn your Bibles to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 29. 36, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 29. Here's what we have in, in Jeremiah 31, 33 though. But this is the covenant, God says, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And that's my problem at times, is although the law is written now in my heart, I believe Jesus is my Savior and he's made me a new creature, lawlessness is written in my flesh you know but for most people they just got lawlessness written in their flesh it's all over them and their hearts haven't changed and their impulse is just to do their own will and to do their own and it rises up from the time you're a little child when they're little we had one of our children the first complete sentence they ever said a lovely little child you know when your child is first born you thought oh here's perfection right here and then they begin to speak you know and then they begin to be articulate what's really going on in their mind and the first complex sentence this child said to us is, I can take care of myself. Uh, 
okay, this is going to be a problem. First time we took this child to a hairdresser and told them, now you do whatever the hairdresser tells you. And we were walking behind a plane of glass, kind of watching. They couldn't see us. They turned to the hairdresser and said, you're not the boss of me. That's what's in the flesh. That's what we inherit in this kind of fallen, sinful nature. And that's what was in the flesh of Israel, even though God said, I want to bless you. I want to pour up all these blessings upon you. I want to give them to you, but you're going to need to obey me and follow me. And they said, I can take care of myself. If you'll yield to me and you'll listen to me and listen to my voice and follow me, I'll guide you. You're not the boss of me. Oh, what has to happen here? I'm going to have to change their hearts. I'm going to have to put some new instinct within them. That's the new covenant. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 29. What I want you to see as I read this, I want you to see how the spiritual transformation that God wants to bring to Israel allows them to experience the physical blessings he also wants them to enjoy and inherit in the covenant he's made with them. Then in 36, starting verse 25, Then God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be made clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So there is first that idea of the sacrifice being made and the clean water from the altar coming come to wash them and cleanse them of their sins. And then he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. I'll bring you into prosperity. I'll bring you into blessing. And so there's merging together this spiritual transformation that takes place and it impacts their ability to enjoy all of the material benefits and blessing that God wanted to bring to the nation of Israel. They're merged together. And what we'll see when the Lord Jesus returns and when he comes is he's going to bring this to complete fruition. He's going to bring into the world a transformation upon all the peoples of the earth. And he's going to set up a kingdom over all the nations in which will be poured out blessings. The blessings that he intended for them. And Paul actually wisely ties together the promises that God gives to Israel when he promises to bless Abraham and sees in it that God is also in that providing a promise of blessing to all the other nations. In Galatians 3, 8, Paul says, And scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the good news to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. All the nations shall be blessed. Having said all that, I have a point here I want to make to you. God promises to bless Abraham, to make a great nation out of Abraham. That's Israel. And then God promises and God gives a progressive unfolding throughout the Old Testament of the details of the blessings that he wants to bring upon Israel and the work that he's going to do in them in order to condition them so that they perpetually can receive those blessings, not just sporadically bless them at different times, but that they might be ensconced forever in those blessings and we have the details of the blessings he offers to Israel. He says, I'm going to give you a land that you're going to inherit. I'm going to make you productive in that land. I'm going to set over that land a righteousness that will be infused over all that land because I'm going to give you a king who's going to rule over you in righteousness and he's going to bring his righteousness to all the people and I'm going to change your hearts and your lives so that you can live in a constant state to receive those blessings. This is the blessing that's given to Abraham when he says to Abraham, I am going to bless you, and out of you, I'm going to make of you a blessed nation. 
That's what we understand. That's what the Old Testament reveals to us. But here's what we can say. When we see that God says, I'm going to bless you and your nation, and then through you I'm going to bless all the other nations of the earth, what we can understand is that the blessing that he's going to give to Israel is of the same kind as the blessings he's planning for all the nations of the earth. He's having a desire to put those same blessings over all of the nations of the earth, there to realize the same thing, there to realize a national identity, there to realize land that will be given to them to occupy, prosperity in that land, righteousness infused throughout that land, a king that will reign over that land as well, and over that nation as well. The point here is that what God was unpacking to give to Israel was not an expression of what he wanted to give to Israel alone. It's a blessing that he's planned for all the nations of the earth. Fruitfulness, productivity, land, new hearts to receive the blessing, a king to rule over them in righteousness. Israel was just to be the conduit through which those blessings were to be brought to the people. They were blessed to be a blessing. Ultimately, the conduit narrows all the way down to one seed, Jesus Christ, the son of David, through which these blessings will be poured out upon all the earth. But God has a purpose for the nation of Israel to bless them, but not them alone, but to bless all the other nations as well, to bless them. The focal point through which those blessings flow, as we've said, is Jesus Christ. But it doesn't change God's plan. He's promised to bless Israel in multiple ways, and he plans to bless the nations of the earth in the same way. Now, among other things, what this does is this requires a kingdom to come upon the earth one day that will realize in full all of the promises that God was planning for Israel and for the nations. It requires a king who will rule over all the earth to dispense those blessings and those benefits to every nation. It requires it, and God promises it will take place. So just understand this, just from this one point. God's heart is to bless the nations, the nations. God's heart is to bring to him from all the nations a redeemed people of God. The ministry that God has given to us in the church is to go to the nations and tell them that they have a king who has come and he wants to bless them. That God's intent is to change their hearts and to redeem them in such a way that they might be receptacles of the blessing that he wants to pour out upon them and their land and their people and their nations. Apart from faith in him and a complete surrender to him, though they remain in default to be in their sins vessels not only of his blessing, but instead of his judgment and of his curses. But all oh, the blessings await for them. And those blessings are available. And there is a king who is coming to render those blessings should they turn to him and believe in him. What a promise, what a hope. What a great thing when you go into some of these places that you travel to around the world and you see how dark they are. There is a lot of criticism of what's going on in the United States. All of these people, they don't travel much, that's all I can tell you. They haven't been to very many places. They haven't seen the kind of burdens that are put upon people and the hardships and the difficulties and the spiritual dankness and darkness that reside in many of these places. I'm not saying that these people don't have experiences of love and joy and peace and they're not living in a constant state of misery, but there is a pall, a darkness over much of their lives. God's desire and God's benefit when you go to those places is there's coming a day when God, the King, 
Jesus the King shall rise up to bring his blessing and his light upon these lands and to lead them into an opening and open up before them blessings that we have not yet imagined that will bring to all the earth. That's his plan. We're ambassadors of the mission and the plan and the design he has for them. And we're calling them to come worship the king who's coming to bring that blessing to them. Next thing I want to do very quickly is I want to consider with you how it is that Jesus Christ ascends to this position to be the king of kings. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 5, and you might turn to Revelation chapter 5. While you're turning there, I'll remind you that in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of God inhabiting as the king over the throne of all the universe. There he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he, he tells of seeing the angels around the throne that are worshiping him, and they can't cease staying over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, and, and at the sound of their voices, and at the sight of the king ruling in his heavenly temple, Isaiah sees himself, and he cries out, Woe is me, or I am undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I've seen the light of the glory of, of God, and I see my own sinfulness. Actually, he says this, For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So in Isaiah, God gives... Isaiah a vision in Isaiah 6 of the universal king of all creation what I want you to know is that is the position that God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit the triune God has occupied over the creation that he's made and that Christ occupied thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise Idaho to learn more go to breadoflifeboise.org until the next time May God bless you.